0: James. It'll be on the screen. James chapter 1 verse 12. Now although we're looking at one verse there's going to be lots of verses of course so I have made a little small short list on the side so you can look them up uh, when you get an opportunity. I'll read it to you now though. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him blessed let's start with this word blessed blessed is the man who endures temptation the original word translated blessed can also mean happy so you could say happy is the man who endures temptation but the word blessed uh, it carries with it a deeper and more enduring meaning than just you know normal happiness you see happiness is based on our circumstances you know when everything is going well when our family is healthy when we have a good job, these sorts of things, often it brings happiness into our lives. But the problem with happiness is it's often fleeting because as soon as there's a situation that arises that's negative, it seems like our happiness departs. But when we speak of blessing, we speak about something that endures into everlasting life, something that's lasting, a blessing from from God. It doesn't this blessing from God doesn't rely on our temporary pleasure or circumstances. And, you know, sometimes these circumstances that we face, they can be trying, they can be painful. I mean, if you think of the word blessing, you might be thinking about another passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, where we read about the story of um, Jesus sharing the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. You know, it starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the ending of it has a few negatives involved. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted, for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake now that doesn't sound like the kind of things that bring happiness i don't know about you but um when someone you know tells lies about me or mocks me for my christian faith i wouldn't exactly say that it's a happy feeling that it gives me um however Jesus said to us that we ought to rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is our reward in heaven. And so the blessing we receive from God, that reward in heaven, that everlasting blessing is what we're going to be talking about this morning. So when we face various trials, we look to the reward that we receive um, in, in the end when we face the Lord face to face. And I'm looking forward to that day that the Lord Jesus looks at me and looks at you hopefully too and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Won't that be a wonderful day? Now, I want you to notice what James does not say. James doesn't say, blessed are those who are tempted, because of course we're all tempted. uh, And there's no blessing in giving into temptation. But James says, blessed are you if you endure temptations. Now, endurance carries with it the idea of suffering through temptations without succumbing to them. It's important to note that some of your Bibles will translate this word, uh, temptations, as trials. Uh, But temptation is just another form of trial. It's a more specific form of trial. And the reason that some translations say uh, temptations rather than trials is because of the preceding context. So the following verses, after verse 12, say, "...let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death." So the trial that James has in mind in in verse 12 is a trial involving temptation to do something evil to rebel against the Lord. Now, I want us to think a little bit more deeply about what it might mean to endure temptations to sin. We need to be patient when temptations arise and challenge our faith and love for the Lord. Now, some people have this wrong notion that Christianity is supposed to be easy, that it's a a walk in the park and that when you become a Christian, life is all bliss and all very easy, and it's all about our personal pleasure, but that's not the kind of Christianity that the Lord Jesus talked about. I want you to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. If you want to follow the Lord Jesus this morning, it's going to cost you something. You'll need to make a choice, a daily choice, to deny your sinful um, desires and appetites, to deny living the way that you were formerly living in order to love God properly and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when um, my wife and I got married, Jess, she's up with kids at the moment, uh, we decided to take more traditional uh, style of vows. So we did those traditional, you know, um, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. We included a line in there that said, forsaking all others by God's grace, I choose to love and serve you for as long as I shall live. And I think this is what we need to approach the Christian life like. We are forsaking all others, all other objects of worship, all other places um, that we uh, we were seeking satisfaction in outside of God, areas of sin, areas of defilement. We turn from those things. We forsake all others to embrace the Lord Jesus. Luke 14 verse 33, Jesus said, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now the blessing that James speaks about is directly linked to receiving what's called the crown of life. So we need to ask the question this morning, what is this crown that James is referring to? Now, the original audience of this letter was in the first century and they would have been very familiar with the idea of receiving a crown. You see, like today, uh, sporting events are really popular in the Greco-Roman world. And uh, does anyone know when the Olympics actually started? Does anyone have an idea? Like what, what time frame? So from what I could research, uh, the Olympics actually first started in 776 BC in Greece. It's so a long time ago, 776 years before Christ the game started. Um, they were really famous in the first century and James's audience would have been familiar with them. But there were also other athletic events outside of the Olympics. Uh, another major famous athletic gathering, I'm going to pronounce this probably wrong, it's called the... Isthamian Games, it's spelled I-S-T-H-M-I-A-N, Isthamian Games. They were held the year before and the year after the Olympics in Corinth, where they originated. And so this would make sense to us now um, when we read the letters of Paul, and he speaks about crowns too, because in these other games, they received crowns as as awards. So they had um, events such as wrestling, running, horse races, and the winners of these events uh, were, were crowned and they were presented with these these crowns as part of an award ceremony. There was cheering crowds, there were songs being played, and then they had after parties. It's amazing how the world hasn't really changed a lot since then. We still celebrate people's victories in the form of some form of trophy or award ceremony. I wanna show you though in Corinthians, Paul spoke about a crown that was received uh, for a running race. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul explained to those in Corinth who are familiar with the games that were run in their, their city. Do you not know that all those who run in a race run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown. So this language of a perishable crown or a crown that decomposes, it made sense to the first century listeners because the crown that they received wasn't a golden crown in these athletic competitions. They actually received like a wreath made out of pine or olive leaves, uh, which you can sort of see like a sort of style of it on this picture. That's, um, that's actually first century current colorized. Um, <laughs> We receive a crown from the Lord Jesus that doesn't die and rot. It doesn't fall off a shelf and break. We receive a crown from the Lord Jesus that endures into everlasting life. Now, I, I used to listen to uh, an old Bible teacher by the name of Chuck Mizler. Has anyone heard sermons from Chuck Mizler before? We've got, a, oh no, we've got quite a lot of fans. I'm really sorry to the fans of Chuck Mizler, because I'm gonna go against something that I learned from him. Uh, now, if you have any issues with something I'm about to share, that's fine. We can talk about it afterwards. I'm always open for discussion. We can, we can uh, hash it out a little bit further. But when I was listening to Chuck Misler, he would talk about the five crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament. And he would talk about how we as Christians are going to receive rewards in heaven, rewards in the form of these crowns. But it's only going to be for specific Christians who meet specific criteria. And so maybe... Uh, one of you will receive the crown of rejoicing, but another one of you will receive a crown of glory. But you're not all going to receive the same crowns. So the five crowns that are referred to in the New Testament are, are referred to as like the victor's crown. Um, there's one called the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and then this morning we're talking about the crown of life. Now, um, when we look at these crowns, I just want to show you briefly uh, sort of what my view is on the crowns because I believe I'm going to receive all five crowns. And I believe that if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, you're going to receive all five crowns as well. That it's a promise, it's a picture, it's an illustration to each of us of what we're going to receive um, in the presence of God in eternity. So if we just look at one of these crowns, the crown of righteousness, found in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 8, Paul's about to die. He, he knows that his time is coming. And he finishes his letter to Timothy by saying, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who here loves the idea of the Lord Jesus returning? Who here is longing for Jesus to return on the clouds? Who's longing to have their lowly body transformed into his likeness? We're going to live with God forever and eternity. We want to be delivered from this present evil age. We don't want corrupt governments anymore. We want the Lord Jesus crowned as King, ruling over the whole universe. We want sin to be done away with. And so you see, everyone who truly believes the message about Christ is going to receive the crown of righteousness because they long for His appearing. They long for His return. But this morning, I don't have time to go through all the crowns, so let's just focus on the crown of life, which is the one that's in our text this morning. What we learn from James is the crown of life is promised to those who love God, or more specifically, to those who love God by choosing to preference Him instead of giving into sinful temptations. Now, the only other place we read about the crown of life is actually in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. So it's the ascended Lord Jesus speaking to the church in in Smyrna. And the church in Smyrna is often referred to as the persecuted church. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus is speaking. He says, Do not fear any of those those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here we see that these Christians in Smyrna... We're facing imprisonment and suffering, but Jesus, has, Jesus promised them that they'll receive the crown of life if they're faithful to death. Now, if we took this verse in isolation, we could assume that there's a specific group of people that Jesus is addressing, and he's offering them a specific uh, reward for their faithfulness. However, it's never right to take a verse in isolation without considering the verses that are before it and the verses that come after it because they often give context and explanation of what the verse actually means. So um, the very next verse in Revelation chapter 2, verse 11, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So that puts it in context. The crown of life, Has to do with overcoming and has to do with not being hurt by the second death and this is what the spirit is saying to the churches that's what the spirit is saying to us this morning there is a crown of life available for those who believe on the lord jesus and overcome now for those who don't or aren't familiar with the language of the second death the second death is a reference to final judgment all those who choose to live an immoral lifestyle instead of turning their life over to Christ will be condemned and separated from God and His people. So we can read about the second death in Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. It says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death you see there's only two groups of people those who overcome and inherit the kingdom and those who give themselves over to sin and are condemned a similar conclusion is drawn in james in our passage this morning when we consider the verses that follow after verse 12 So skipping over verse 13, when we go to verse 14, it says, Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. James as well is contrasting two groups of people. Those who love God and endure temptations are going to receive the crown of life. But those who continue to give themselves over to sinful appetites will eventually face spiritual death. So what is this crown of life that James is, is talking about? He's talking about spending eternity in the presence of God. That is our award that is our that is the award ceremony to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus forever and ever. Now this phrase that James uses, this promise to those who love him, Is also used in James chapter 2, verse 5. So that'll give us further clarity if we can see the phrase used in different contexts. So in James chapter 2, James is now speaking to the poor brethren in the church, those who are materially poor. And he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So the promise of entering and inheriting the kingdom of God is made to one group of people and one group only. To those who love him. Now, if the crown of life is the gift of eternal life, some of you are probably thinking to yourselves, wait a second, I thought salvation was the free gift of God. I thought salvation came through faith alone. Um, Some of you might say it shouldn't have anything to do with overcoming temptations, or others of you might be thinking, you know, how much do I need to love God in order to go to heaven? Um, and then some of you will definitely be thinking, why on earth did we appoint Josh to be our youth pastor? He's obviously a heretic. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, I want us to look at this a little bit further, just so you can see it coming from Scripture and not from me. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, we read about the kind of faith that overcomes and the kind of faith that saves. 1 John chapter 5 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? every person who truly believes in the lord jesus will overcome the world and they'll overcome the world by their faith that is that is what john is saying so the reason why we endure temptation is because we love god and we're thankful for his mercy and grace it's kind of like that scripture i had on the screen before when we were having the discussions you know we love him because he first loved us if you embrace christ as your savior and your Lord, and you trust in Him, like, of course you're going to be grateful. Of course you're going to be thankful. You're not gonna wanna run back into the things that crucified um, your beloved Lord. Charles Spurgeon once said, "'Those who endure temptation rightly endure it because they love God. They say to themselves, "'How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God?' They cannot continue to sin because it would grieve Him who loves them so well and whom they love with all of their hearts. Uh, imagine, if I, imagine if I illustrated by saying there was a man that we all knew who said that he loved his wife. And uh, he told you all the time, oh yeah, I love my wife. And you see them spending time together. But then now imagine if you found out that this man was cheating on his wife every single week. He was flirting with other women and sleeping with them. But he was still maintaining that he loved his wife you'd say that man's crazy. You'd say that man doesn't truly love his wife. His actions display clearly that he doesn't love his wife. And this is the same kind of imagery that James uh, is is trying to give. The kind of faith that has no works is a dead faith. One that says one thing and does another proves that the person doesn't genuinely believe what they say they believe. In James chapter 4, verse 4, James says... Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you hear what James is saying? If you continue to give yourself over to sin, over to temptations, you're actually turning on God and acting like his enemy. James is saying that the kind of faith that believes or says it believes something and then acts like it doesn't believe at all is a dead faith, it's a faith that cannot save because it's not the faith the Bible speaks about. The faith the Bible speaks about is an embracing of Christ and a turning away from sin. You see, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. The reason we believe is because we've had a change of thinking, we've had a change of direction. We turn from the way we were living towards the Lord Jesus. And we know that Jesus is not just our savior. Again, we can't cut him into two halves. There's the savior Jesus who is just totally okay with your lifestyle of sin and then there's the Lord Jesus who's not okay with it and wants you to surrender to Him. No, the two are one. We serve the Lord Jesus who is our Savior. We believe on our Savior, the Lord Jesus. He's our Master. He's our King. And so when we come to Him, we submit to Him as our Lord. It says in uh, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John, if you get a chance to read through it after this sermon, it's a great book that goes through many tests of what does it look like to be a true follower how can i know that my faith is genuine and so he gives a few markers so that we can examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith 1 john chapter 2 verse 3 john writes now by this we know that we know him if we keep our com- sorry if we keep his commandments he who says i know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him john 2 uh, chapter 1 sorry First john 2 goes on to say, in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, those who follow Christ will forsake the lust of the world, and they'll live forever. Those who continue to indulge in the lust of the world will not receive the crown of life. They will not have a share in the kingdom of God. See, going to church doesn't make us Christians. Singing songs on a Sunday doesn't make us Christians. You can sing songs to God on Sunday and then on Monday live like you don't even know him. And this is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So when people ask us, what is salvation all about? What is Christianity all about? Is it just getting a ticket so I can go to heaven when I die? No, it's about an intimate relationship with God, the God, the creator, who is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. If you want to be in proper relationship with someone, you need to be like-minded. You need to come together on common grounds. We need to agree with God that sin is evil, that sin grieves his heart. We need to believe that sin was so hideous and heinous that it required Jesus to suffer a brutal, bloody death on the cross to purchase us, to redeem us, to cleanse us. So we turn from sin in order to give ourselves to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't leave it there. He says some of you Corinthians were like this. Some of you Corinthians used to live like this. But when you trusted in the Lord Jesus, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So this was the kind of lifestyle the Corinthians were living prior to knowing him. And Paul reminds them, you left those things behind to embrace Christ, to come out of the world. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Do you love God? Now, after this morning's message, you might come to the conclusion that, well, actually, maybe I don't love him like I thought I loved him. Or maybe you might be sitting here feeling lost or distant from God. But I have good news for you. Um, You see... God didn't wait for you to be perfect. He didn't wait for you to get all your life in order. He said, come as you are. And you see, God pursued humanity. Remember back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned? He didn't just throw a lightning bolt at them or something like that. He came after Adam and he said, Adam, where are you? God desired to have a conversation with Adam to reconcile him, to redeem him. And he does the same for us. It says in Romans chapter 5, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to know this morning that you may not love God, but God loves you and God's pursuing you and God wants you to be in his eternal kingdom and he wants to deliver you from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And you may not have the strength to do those things. You might say, I don't know how to love the Lord God. Like you're saying, obey his commandments, but I struggle with bondage to sin. the lord jesus came to set the prisoners free when you trust in the lord jesus christ you will be baptized in the holy spirit you will receive power from on high it's not just power to witness by sharing the gospel it's power to be a witness to be a christ follower you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and we know that the scripture says the fruit of the spirit is love and it's joy and it's peace and self-control and kindness And these are the things that we as humans lack. We lack these things. But when we trust in the Lord Jesus, we receive a new heart, a new spirit in us. And we have these rivers of living water that flow, that provide our needs, so that we can love our neighbor, and we can love our God, and we can worship him, and we can be in thanks to him every single day because of his gift for us. So it's something to be received. If you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, You will obey him and you will receive the crown of life and you will be with him forever. There's no fear in death for the Christian. The Christian has an eternal reward, something that doesn't perish. Our crown can't get lost and it can't fall off a shelf. Our crown is given to us on that day when he presents it to us and says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's just spend some time in prayer and I invite the worship team back up. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to forgive us of sins, to reconcile us. Lord, though we were your enemies, you call us sons and daughters now. We just thank you for that. We thank you that we have an eternal inheritance that can't be snatched away from us. Lord, thank you for providing for us. And we want to love you. This morning, Lord, I just pray with all of our hearts, Lord, we want to love you more. We want to sacrifice. We want to surrender to you. We want to yield our bodies to you, a living sacrifice. And we want to turn and give you thanks for what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are now raised from the dead. You have now ascended into heaven and are seated at the right hand of God. And you are coming back again to receive your church to yourself. and. We're going to be with you forever, Lord. We thank you that this relationship will last all the way on into eternity and eternity more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.